You're listening to The Athletic Mind with your host, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind. And today we are joined by very special guest, Jacqueline Hackett, who is a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and also a certified trainer. Although she said that we don't need to mention that, it's <laughs> worth noting that she can do it all. So, Jackie, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. No, it's a pleasure to have you because I mean, I think this is a topic in in the women's side of sports where we don't really have a lot of clarity on some of these more touchy subjects around eating disorders. So maybe we start off here with a little bit of a, a trigger warning for any of those folks listening who have struggled with uh, eating disorders in the past or currently, um, you know, in recovery, that this is going to be a, a potentially triggering episode. So please uh, listen with caution or, you know, if, if this is going to be too much, just hit stop and you can rejoin us next week for our mm-hmm. next episode. Um, but yeah, like let's, let's start off by just having you introduce yourself, you know, what, what sport were you playing and and what really got you into, uh, into your current profession? Yeah, I, where do I start? (laughs) Um, yeah, in, I, I grew up playing sports my whole life. Um, I played volleyball and basketball, I think because I had both of them, it made it a little challenging to decide later on in life, um, but I played volleyball in college and um, only played for a year and just, I, I didn't like volleyball. That's what it came down to. I realized uh, I still play basketball today, but not professionally, just in a few women's leagues in Los Angeles, um, more so for fun. But in college, once I stopped playing sports, I was no longer active. You know, I gained the typical freshman 15. I was eating unhealthy, drinking lots of alcohol. Then I started to develop digestive issues. Um, no doctor had an answer for me. They were like, oh, it could be stress. Here's a pill. So I turned to researching nutrition for myself. I'd never even thought before that what we eat can impact how we feel. So I started to deep dive into nutrition, which um, unfortunately led me to the beginning of my disordered eating and my compensatory exercise and just overall poor relationship with, you know, food and my body. Um, But then that led me to understanding what a dietitian was. So I graduated college and then I started my master's in um, dietetics. So I got my master's in nutritional science. Um, It wasn't until I was in grad school that I realized all my years in college, I had disordered eating because it was, and we'll talk about it a few times today, but a lot of disordered eating is kind of what we call healthy eating, right? Like watching what we eat or cutting out carbs or, you know, counting your calories and your macros. Um, I just didn't understand at the time that it was, you know, very unhealthy for my mental and physical health. 
um, which has led me, which is what led me to intuitive eating and what my nutrition philosophy is today. Um, but it took a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of healing, a lot of reflection um, to get to that point. But that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Well, thank you for sharing. It's, um, yeah, like like Taylor said, you know, it's it's one of the fields I think within athletics that we really don't pay enough attention to and and yet food is the thing that fuels us as athletes but um you know especially on the female side it's there's a lot more to that conversation it's not just fuel it's you know the thing that has the ability to make you look a certain way or um you know influence yes influence your performance but I think women more so get swayed to the other side of it right of like well am I going to get bulky if I eat too much? Or is my body going to change if I actually eat what's required for me to like sustain where I'm at and, and the activity levels that, you know, you're in as an athlete. But yeah, I, I know I had my own fair share of um, probably disordered eating habits in college. And I would say that a lot of my teammates did as well. I can definitely say I have also had my fair share as well I mean at certain points especially in, in my third year um my mom actually came up to visit and she was like actually genuinely worried and concerned about me she was like you are so tiny like why mm -hmm. like what's going on and I was like well I'm just like so busy with with hockey and with school and all the extracurriculars that I have going on and honestly I'm pretty much just like surviving off of coffee most of the day <laughs> like that was my me fueling my body unfortunately um and yeah like I I didn't even know that that was a, a form of disordered eating at the time either right like I think that's kind of the challenging part and and that's actually something that I was going through like on the show notes here was like some of the common symptoms that that you had listed I was like that seems like it could be from any sort of problem so it must be really challenging at the beginning to really understand, am I, is this an eating disorder or is this like something that I need to do because this is a, a health concern or, you know, all, all of those kind of factors? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what makes it challenging, um, especially in sport where it's, and especially if you're in a, an aesthetic sport, right? Like gymnastics or wrestling or dancing especially um that yeah it's like well I'm trying to achieve this aesthetic look for competition or I have to reach a certain weight like runners right I have a a good friend of mine who was an Olympian runner and he's like my performance is significantly improved when I'm 10 pounds lighter but then it's like but then what's yeah it's it's is your performance for fuel like yeah you're faster but then you're not fueling yourself properly you're not recovering properly um mm -hmm. but yeah it's like where does the where is that line drawn that hey we need to start saying like this is not okay and you know you need to get help that is a good what question is though. Yeah, I was about to say, what is that line though? Like, does it look different person to person, or is there like a general schematic that you can use that says, like, yeah, this is crossing over into that border of like not sustainable, not healthy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely nuanced, but if you know, we if you start if someone else starts noticing these things about someone, that's probably like gotten to the point where hey, it's it's gone too far. Um, and it it is a spectrum, right? So it, it depends if we're talking about disordered eating, which can be as simple as just counting your calories or saying like, I'm not going to eat any carbs for a month or something, or like Whole30 or Noom, like any of those things could just be disordered eating. Um, but then it can manifest into an eating disorder, um, which are some of those exact same things, but it's becoming um, a lot more serious, right? And I'd say a huge red flag in women with sports is um, amenorrhea, right? If they're losing their their period, um, they're not having their menstrual cycle. I think that's a huge myth. That, and I actually thought that growing up, right? Because I, I personally didn't get my period till a lot later in life. And I just thought, oh, it's because I play sports for three hours a day. And that's, I think, a big misconception. Like, oh, yeah, women just don't get their period because they're playing sports. And yes and no, like, yeah, you're, you're very active. Maybe your body fat percentage is pretty low, but if it's getting to the point where, you know, you're starting to see, Hey, actually it's like been a few months in a row that it's irregular. We need to start seeing, is it due to, um, low caloric intake, which is more commonly going to be the cause of that, um, irregular cycle. Um, so that is definitely a big one. And then that can lead into and feed into other issues. Um, like if someone, you know, their lab values start to get out of range. Um, and then even things like osteopenia and osteoporosis that are caused again by which athletes who are doing strength training, right? Like how to prevent osteoporosis, we're told strength train. But then mm -hmm. it's like, hey, I'm strength training, but then I'm still developing osteopenia. It's because of this low caloric intake, low fat intake. Um, so those are kind of like, I know I, I digress to like the opposite side of it, the extremes. Um, yeah, how, let me backtrack to like, where where is that line drawn? Um, I think it's, if it's disrupting your day to day, if it's disrupting your normal life, you know, hey, I'm not gonna go have a meal with my friends, right? Hey, I'm I'm constantly preoccupied with food and my body. Um, if if it's taking over your life, that's I think the point where like, hey, we should someone needs to get help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like you you mentioned like the the common myth around um, you know women having irregular menstrual cycles and uh, amenorrhea and stuff. But there are other myths that are, you know, kind of floating around in, in women's sports that can unfortunately kind of kind of lead into disordered eating and, you know, if if can left unchecked, turn into an eating disorder. So I would love to to talk a little bit about what those myths are and kind of work on debunking them so listeners can like get the full picture here and like understand that this is not going to happen just because someone tells you that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, is there any particular myth that you want to start with or one that comes off your <laughs> to mind? There are so many nutrition myths out there. So for me, at least, like, I feel like, especially in hockey, because it's like a more like strength based sport in, in a sense that a lot of female athletes tend to think like, if I'm 
having like the proper amount of protein intake, which for a lot of us to maintain our, our physicality and our performance is going to be well over a hundred grams of protein per day. And I know that I would say 95% of people listening definitely don't get their protein intake. Um, but they, they tend to think that they're going to start like getting bulky and going to look manly almost, you know? Yeah. So that's, um, not even in sport, but my, my personal clients now, you know, they're afraid of whether it's like, if I lift heavy or just lift weights, I'm going to get bulky. It's like you do one bicep curl and they're like, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, (laughs) or they have, you know, or yeah, Hey, I'm like, you need to eat this amount of protein. They're like, no, I'm exactly what you're saying. Right. That's, it's not going to happen that way. That is a huge myth and misconception. And in order to get big and bulky, those people in the gym, like it's taken them years and years and years. Maybe some of them are on steroids as well. And that's a whole other thing, right? But it takes time, but it's not just the protein, right? You need to eat enough calories, right? Usually like you've heard of, you know, someone's in like a bulk phase or a cutting phase. Like you need to be eating a lot a lot of calories plus the protein, right? Which the protein is a component of that. Um, And then doing lots of strength training. So I can understand, right? If you're saying hockey is more of a um, strength-based field, yeah, you have that strength training component, then you have the protein, but you still have to have the adequate calorie component um, to then lead to gaining muscle. Um, And it it takes time, right? It's not going to happen overnight. And there's so much behind that too. Like, uh, we, I feel like I could talk about this for hours, just <laughs> like even getting into why women think it's unattractive to be muscular or, and I know that that's like, not the, where we're going with this conversation, but, um, it's just, it's crazy to me that we're still in a position where, even though you may be an elite level athlete, you're still considering how food is going to be impacting your appearance and how your body physically looks um, as opposed to like just being able to embrace who you are and what your body looks like and being grateful for all the things that it can do and viewing food as the fuel that's allowing you to do that. There's just so much like social conditioning in the way of being able to do that. I think we get so preoccupied with like, well, what is this going to mean for my appearance? And once you start to consider the impact on your appearance, that becomes like number one for a lot of women. Yeah. And then that's where like you say, you don't want to dive into it, but that's the whole Mm -hmm. body image um, issue. And like you said, those societal norms that are placed on us that even like, oh yeah, you're an athlete, you should have a certain look, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so, I can't think of an example right now, but I know so many athletes have been called out for, oh yeah, they look, you know, they look like they gained some weight this season. Like what's going on with them? It's like, they're an athlete playing at a very competitive level. Like, does it matter what their weight is? Or, you know, they don't look like they have as much muscle on their arm. But again, that goes back to like how we perceive and and have these expectations of what people should look like. And that's what leads to the eating disorder and the body dysmorphia and those go hand in hand and even more so the cause of, you know, all of this, um, the, the eating disorders as a whole. 
Mm-hmm. You know what comes to mind for that, Lou, is when Hillary Knight did that photo shoot, like, I don't know how many years ago. And oh, the ESPN body mag? Yeah. Hmm. I remember when that came out and like, I thought it was fucking awesome. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there, I, I remember there was like so many negative comments about like her body. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? She's like an elite level athlete. Like, how is it that you can sit here and criticize how, like, unbelievable good shape she's in? Like, like we talked about this the other day. Like, there's just no winning sometimes. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Because, Taylor, it's threatening to people to see a woman who looks, like, that powerful, who is mm-hmm. that good at what she does, right? And, and, like, we talk about this all the time with some of our clients is when you have such a visceral reaction to somebody else either just existing or doing a certain thing and it's not inherently offensive like in that case it's literally just her body being put on display it's because it's triggering something within you right and like being able to understand that takes a lot of self-awareness and therapy quite frankly but um yeah it's annoying to say the least but not to go on too much of a rant um (laughs) I'm super interested. I'm just looking through the outline right now. And one of the myths that I was really kind of bought into at one point during my career was like the no dairy thing. And um, I had heard that like, well, you know, because we're the only mammals that consume dairy beyond infancy and it's inflammatory and like you can't digest it properly. So the interesting thing was, is like I got out a lot of dairy But that, what that essentially meant was that I was eating a lot of other processed stuff. So whether that was like the almond milk alternative yogurt, which has like a bunch of other processed (laughs) stuff in it. So, I mean, like it's one versus the other, I guess. And I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on the whole no dairy thing. Yeah. Um, I actually believed that myth as well when I was in college and I think it was someone I worked with at a coffee shop who like got me into this and I would be making lattes all day and I just, I grew up drinking regular cow's milk like I never thought otherwise and she's like no that's exactly what you said like it's it can cause allergies and sinus issues and um, digestive issues that were not meant to digest it and you know you see everyone become lactose intolerant and there's there's just not any evidence for that Um, and then, yeah, I started drinking almond milk, which has no protein. So then you're cutting out the protein. Most almond milks luckily are fortified with vitamin D, Mm -hmm. um, and calcium, but not all of them. So then that was also something that we're lacking, right? If you drink a glass of milk, you're at least getting your calcium and vitamin D. Um, but yeah, the reality is there's just not enough evidence, um, to support any of that, that it causes inflammation. Um, I personally tell people that if you like regular cow's milk, drink it because there are so many benefits um, to having that, right? Like the protein, the vitamins, the nutrients. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, in terms of like the allergies, congestion, that sort of thing, that that's very true. Like it can happen for some people, but that can be any type of food, right? You, that may cause a food sensitivity or an allergy to, but just, um, I hear it as such a trend. Like when the clients come to see me, I'm like, well, what have you tried? I'm like, well, I cut out dairy and I cut out gluten. It's, it's always like 
those two are together and it it really frustrates me <laughs> because mm-hmm. then like you said then they go and they're eating vegan cheeses and they're eating all these processed things which is fine like hey if you prefer vegan cheese like you do you you enjoy that um but if it's because you think that regular cheese is like it just doesn't make any sense yeah and I like I had teammates who were like lactose intolerant or like cheese and dairy just didn't sit well with them it would like I have a friend who if she has a lot of cheese like she breaks out and that kind of stuff like but I was never one of those people. Like I never had any problems digesting milk or any kind of dairy, but then it got into my head as like, well, if my muscle, like if it's literally making my body inflamed and I'm already putting my body through all of this stress where I'm basically inflaming it to accomplish this stuff, then like, oh, I got to cut out dairy. Cause if I can cut out a little bit of that inflammation, then maybe I'll recover faster and I'll feel better. And I was like, what I was kind of the same way though like I I remember when I was in junior like I was on like the paleo diet for like the first year that I played in junior and then when I was in university I just like went back to like regular like regular eating habits and then I jumped on like the vegetarian bandwagon and I'd like cut out all all meats and and it was more so because it was like that's like not healthy for, for your body because of inflammation. And like, you know, it can, it can cause, uh, like increased risk of cancer and all this stuff. Like there's just so many things floating around that can cause someone to obviously like jump bandwagon and say like, all right, like I'm going to do this too. Um, but then I think about the flip side of this too. And then it's like, everybody's different. Like everybody's body's different, right? Everybody's body and gut is going to react differently to different types of food. Right. So, maybe what helps me perform my best is not necessarily what's going to help someone perform their best either. And I think that's kind of like a, like, again, like it's another like gray area to try to define because it is such a personalized thing. So like when it comes to nutrition, I feel like that's why maybe a lot of people try not to like really talk about the the subject just because it can be so controversial in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and, and you're really hitting it there on like when someone comes to me and they say, well, what is the best diet? I can't give them just an answer, right? Like a lot of people say Mediterranean diet. Okay, cool. Like there's a lot of research on that. And we do know people live pretty long eating the Mediterranean diet. Um, but that's a whole other thing. Like we don't live long just based on what we eat. It's also our relationships, um, our community, managing our stress, like all those other things, right? If you take a look at like blue zone groups, but nutrition is so personalized. And just as you said, we all have a different gut microbiome. We all like and prefer different, um, you know, fiber rich sources, different probiotics are going to work best for us. And that takes kind of trial and error of figuring out what makes you feel your best. Um, which is why I love intuitive eating so much because it's saying like, let me eat these things and see how I feel, right? Am I performing better? Am I less sore after I work out? Am I sleeping better? I know I feel better when I eat way more vegetables, right? I know I don't feel so good when I'm eating donuts and hamburgers all the time, but I'm still going to eat a burger and a hamburger or a burger and a donut like from time to time because that's living life. Um, 
but it's, yeah, it's really tuning into, I think having that awareness and starting to make that connection of like, okay, when I eat X, Y, Z, that's when I feel my best. And it doesn't matter if Sally over there is like, no, I can't eat that. It makes me have, you know, gas or bloating. Like that's on her. That's not my experience. Um, and that's why we, I don't think we can just take from like someone saying, don't eat this, this, and that, and you're going to be better because you can't assume that um, about someone. And then you also have to take into account all those other things. Like they could be eating perfectly healthy, but if their mental health is not great, they may have a lot of digestive issues, right? And that's mm -hmm. actually not coming from the food mm -hmm. that's coming from their stress and, and life events. Um, so it's nutrition is complicated, very complex. <laughs> Humans, we are complex um, and nutrition is a science and it's always changing. So there always is going to be new research that I think we have to consider, um, even mm -hmm. if it's not so like I, li I like holistic and functional nutrition. There's not always a lot of evidence for things, but I think because we know things change, we have to stay open minded to the possibilities. I think I, I went on tangent there, but no, personalization. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all we do on this show, honestly, is go on tangents. So, but um, I like what you said, though. Um, I think that should be the title of the podcast. It's just like straight up nutrition is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and based on that, right? Like based on the fact that we know that human beings are very individual and complicated like the interaction between mental health and nutrition is complicated and nutrition in and of itself is complicated. Is it safe to say that like anything that you're um, taking in, whether it's information wise about food or like dieting or a kind of supplement, if it says that it's going to like fix X, Y, Z by doing this one thing, can we pretty well assume that like yeah, probably not true. <laughs> Good marketing. Yeah, that's but not true. That's like the classic. If you have a hot hot water with lemon every morning, you're going to yep. be absolutely like flawless skin, and it's going to <laughs> detox all. Like it's like just seeing those videos. I'm like, it's a lemon. It's yeah, one lemon. I try to stay away from TikTok nutrition pages because it just really frustrates me. I have the, I follow like the ones if you that, like, drink this powder everything. okay oh, those yeah. are good it's like if you drink this green powder that's 59.99 you're gonna look just like me it's like no you look that way because of your genes like that's not because of what you're you're putting into your body like they may not even be taking that supplement for all we know yeah mm -hmm. it's like and even though, you know, social media and the internet can be like a great way to get more information to people that weren't getting it before. I think one of the things that we've lost is our ability to be um, like critical Edible. observers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, um, yeah, we're losing the idea of like wanting to be credible, right. And not just wanting to make money by having a brand sponsor us. But yeah, the other side of it is like you see something on TikTok or Instagram and because the person has like a few thousand followers or even more, you're like, oh, well, they have to be telling the truth. It's like, 
No, like you have to be more critical of the information that you're taking in Mm -hmm. because it is so important. Like we're talking about, yes, nutrition and food, but we're talking about your overall health as well. And how you invest in it is so crucial for how it's going to play out in your life and your longevity overall. Like it's, it's crazy to me. I don't know. We're just so quick to want to get the quick and easy, like, oh, I'll buy 60, $60 supplement. I'll take it every day. And it's going to solve everything for me. It's like, well, and that's like what we're sold back home though. Right. Like oh, I know. That's, that's like the cure is like, here's a pill. It's going to fix everything for you rather than addressing what the underlying causing problem is, which mm-hmm. is your eating habits. Yeah. Or like yeah, mentally I mean, too, really, right? Yeah. Relationship with the food as well. Right. Not not just what we're eating but how we're eating it and is there guilt and shame around it does it go back to our childhood that you know we we didn't have access to food mm-hmm. um it's yeah there's so many components there but yeah i think as as you mentioned lauren we have to be critical consumers and i try to encourage people all the time like you don't even have to listen to what i'm saying like yes i am a nutrition professional but like take it with a grain of salt because what I'm saying doesn't may not resonate with you. And that's, that's fine. I'm not for everyone, but to at least just question everything, right? Like even the new, oh my God, here in the U S the new Taylor, did you see that? Like the new government? um, No, I think I was talking to Isabel about it, but Mm -hmm. how it's comparing like lucky charms as being have more often compared to whole eggs and red meat yeah, like they're ranked wild. less often what what is wrong <laughs> yeah with those the are world? our new government guidelines coming out and fda um, on point as per use <laughs> yeah yeah the usda it's um and then but people are genuinely going to look to that and say like oh yeah i like lucky charms and they're saying it's good for me i'm gonna eat it more often um so again like even our government, we need to take things with a grain of salt. Um, yeah, that goes without saying for sure. What was, I'm trying to think of the documentary that came out on Netflix um, where like there was a huge surge in people going vegan afterwards because they were talking about like. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was an athlete based one too. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name. It wasn't what the fork, was it? No, no. no, But now Um, it's going to drive me crazy though. I know. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but I remember they like, they followed a couple athletes, I think that went vegan and, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, let me find it. Continue. (laughs) I need to find it. Okay. Well, while you're searching, um, I remember I watched it and I actually ended up trying afterwards, like just to not eliminate but like reduce the amount of meat that I was having and more so because like the way that our meat industry works is kind of crazy um just from like an environmental standpoint and all that kind of stuff so I was like you know what maybe I'll give it a go but I remember hearing in the documentary that all these athletes were like oh Taylor's got it what is it the game changers yes yeah yes the game changers um they're like, oh, my performance went up this much and like I my times dropped and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, okay, is it really? And like, you can honestly say that it's from the fact that you're not eating meat anymore or is it because 
you are fueling your body and paying way more attention to what is actually going into it. I would also like to add that it could be because you believe that that's going to change as well. Like yeah, a lot of people placebo. forget that, that if you just believe something's going to help you, odds are you're going to start seeing the benefits from doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Placebo is very, very real. Um, but yeah, Lauren, like you're saying, maybe just because they're eating more vegetables now, they're probably <laughs> feeling better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we could get a huge tangent about this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll hold myself back. <laughs> so let's let's try to like re reset the course here. Uh, let's kind of roll back and and you know, we were talking about these myths, but obviously these these myths can lead into the disordered eating, and then again, if left unchecked, can lead into like having really severe eating disorders. So like, um you know, if someone is struggling with that eating disorder, like where, where is it that you are able to kind of provide advice, help, and also like we've worked on debunking those myths, but like, how is it that they can really start to lead into like the, the culmination of having an eating disorder? Yeah. So as we mentioned, oftentimes it starts out as just being innocent, you know, hey, I'm just going to watch my carb intake, or I'm going to cut out the dairy, whatever it may be. Um, But then it can become more obsessive, can become more disordered. Um, And especially in athletes, right, like we mentioned, genuinely, they're doing it to look and feel and perform their best. So it's I think it's well-intentioned, hopefully. I think majority of the time it is well-intentioned, but then it can then become um, all-consuming and lead to that disordered eating and then eventually um, turn into um, a full-blown eating disorder. And in terms of where to get help, I mean, I think within your your own um team like turning to others and and bringing it up as like having a safe if you feel safe there having a safe space um but if not then there are lots of resources um in the u.s we have the national eating disorder awareness um whole community on their website there are lots of um there's phone numbers there's contacts that you can reach out to um if your school has i mean most universities have um, dietitians and Hopefully, um, at least, you know, the the dietitian I used to work with at UCLA was well-versed in eating disorders. We saw a lot of um, athletes who had come in who were on the, the brink of having them or had one, and that is a safe space to go to, right? Your, your team dietitian um, or team psychologist, right? So if it is actually an eating disorder, then you need to um, be speaking with a licensed therapist who hopefully specializes in eating disorders, but if not, can refer you out um, to someone. But I think bringing it up with, you know, it's it's still um, kind of like people don't want to talk about it. You know, same thing as like people don't want to talk about they're going to therapy. Um, but I think it, the more that we can bring awareness to it that, hey, I'm going through this, like with your team um, and being open to that, the more we can spread, you know, that awareness to everyone else so that people can start to feel more comfortable um, with being open to those things. Mm -hmm. 
Now, when we're talking about like the eating disorders, I mean, we've obviously covered like some of the the symptoms, but maybe for those who might not know that they could potentially have disordered eating or an eating disorder, like what are some of the the common symptoms that tend to show up versus the obviously like more severe end of the spectrum where it's like, okay, like this is quite obviously a very severe problem that needs to be dealt with immediately. Yeah, so it could start off as something as simple as just restriction. Um, you know, I'm not going to eat this food or, hey, I, I feel like I ate too much today. I'm not going to have dinner. Um, compensatory exercise can often go hand in hand with it. Like, oh, I just ate that cheeseburger. I need to go burn it off. Um, so it's that mindset around that as well. Um, unintentional weight loss, which is often common in athletes. Again, if you're in that aesthetic sport. Um, but overall, like preoccupation with your weight, your body, your appearance, right, which kind of leads into that body image and body dysmorphia. Um, again, skipping those meals, taking smaller portions, um, having food rituals, like, and that can, food rituals and food rules can go, I mean, there's so, so many that you can come up with and, and see, Um and then kind of the more physical things of, you know, you can't concentrate if if you're in university still, you can't concentrate in class or just in your day-to-day headaches, fatigue, dizziness, um, muscle weakness, right? You get sick all the time because your immune system is compromised. And a lot of these things like fatigue, tiredness can also just be a symptom of like, hey, I just trained too hard. But that's where that recovery is so important, right? Like, hey, I'm training hard. So yeah, I need to fuel myself to make up and replenish, restore that glycogen and repair those muscles um, because you did just train so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, the the like a lot worse symptoms that we said of, you know, losing your menstrual cycle, osteopenia. Um, and then if, if it is an eating disorder, something like bulimia, it's, you know, someone is intentionally making themselves, um, throw up, that would be kind of that, um, that extreme. So now that we've, you know, discussed the, the eating disorders and, and really how severe they can get and how they can also go easily unnoticed and, you know, the importance of proper nutrition obviously is what the target for us is, right? Is, is figuring out, okay, what does proper nutrition look like for athletes then? And that's, you know, one of the, the hardest things to answer, I think. I mean, obviously we can go with like the, the standard, you know, three, what is it like a a quarter, no, a, a third plate of like veggies and making sure you have like X amount of protein per, per day or per meal or whatever that looks like. Um, but fueling your body per for performance is obviously different than just getting the like standard amount of calories and, and macronutrient intake per day. Right. Yeah. I mean, athletes need a significant higher amount of calories of protein of carbs which carbs are so feared but athletes need a high amount of carbs and of course there's going to be differences right depending on the sport that you're in um there can be huge huge differences um and and even within the position that you play maybe right like you being goalie versus someone who's um just kind of well i don't i don't i don't know much about hockey 
I can't speak to that. <laughs> but I'm sure, right, your position is going to be a bit different than than someone else. Um, but I think first and foremost, it's taking in, like we said, that nutrition is individualized and we need to look at their, their specific food preferences, um, their own genetic, right? Like there's the whole field of nutrigenomics, which is looking at the genes and how they interact. Um, but it really does come down to like that, that healthy plate. Um, and we typically recommend half a plate of veggies, Taylor. Oh, okay. Good. Half Good a to plate know. of veggies, um, <clears throat> half a plate of vegetables, a quarter of your plate is your protein. A quarter of your plate is your carbohydrates. Um, but the quality of the food that you can get, can we improve upon that? But then there's the other side. It's like, Sometimes you finish a game and all that's open is fast food. So you got to make the best of, of what you have. Um, so like preparing things also like to bring snacks, bring, um, you know, things for the bus and on the road, um, high protein snack items. Um, but yeah, having both animal protein, plant-based protein, lots of veggies, lots of healthy fats, um, and ensuring that you are having protein at every single meal. Um, cause we don't want to just say, you know, that hundred grams of protein. Oh yeah. I'm just going to eat a, a 12 ounce steak for dinner and I'm good. <laughs> no, like mm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks in between eating every three to four hours for, for most people, I think is what is recommended. Um, but even more so for an athlete, then we get into like meal timing and pre and post workout, right? Is it a game? Is it, um, just training practice? going to be a little bit more nuanced there, but recovery being most important, are you getting adequate carbohydrates and protein um, after your workout, right? Everyone always talks about, yeah, we need your protein, protein, but carbs are really what help you restore glycogen and help you build muscle um, in addition to the protein. So it's, yeah, combination of that um, and then specific amounts of protein, again, are going to vary on your sport, um, on how much you weigh, your height. But typically, um, American College of Sports Medicine recommends about 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day um, of protein, or roughly 10 to 35% of your total calories coming from protein, which I think 10 is very, very low. I typically recommend 25 to 30% um, of your total calories coming from protein. And I don't um, expect you to like get into the full like chemistry lesson of it all. But I think that, I mean, I, um, I took a nutrition class in college, but like, they're not mandatory, right? And you, it's not something that you learn about in high school, even beyond like the plate that we're talking about right now and what your plate should look like. Um, but what is it about like protein? And I know that the makeup of protein and carbs is very different. How does that impact and how does it go into your body? And what are the components of each that kind of aid in performance? Yeah. So protein, the, the, Protein is made up of uh, something called amino acids, right? They're mm -hmm. the building blocks of protein. That's probably something we all learned in, in like bio and chemistry. Um, <clears throat> they're in every cell of our body and they really help um, repair and maintain our muscle tissue, right? So after that workout, right? You know, when you like, 
you do a bicep curl, when you train, you're causing little micro tears um, in your muscle. Um, so it's helping us uh, recover from those, those little tears, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> carbohydrates are important for muscle building as well because they are number one, protein sparing, which means the body is um, looking to glycogen, which glycogen is just stored glucose. Right, so mm -hmm. it's looking to glycogen for energy um, instead of breaking down muscle tissue for energy. But if we don't have enough glycogen stores, right, because we're like on keto and we're doing super low carb, we can start to, you know, lose our muscle and and not repair our muscles, and that's when injuries can happen and our performance is not doing well. So that's why we need adequate carbs. Um, and aside from like, if you were an athlete, our body needs a minimum amount of carbohydrates just to function. Like our brain, we need minimum 130 grams of carbs per day. Um, mm -hmm. Most low, low carb diets, I mean, keto, they're at like 30 grams of carbs a day. It's just not, mm -hmm. carbohydrates are our body's main source of fuel. Um, and carbohydrates, essentially, when you break them down, it's just glucose, which is just sugar. Right. So it's just that quick energy um, that gets converted into ATP that, you know, gives us um, energy to think and move. So we need both of them. Yeah. Carbs yeah, way too much to give them up. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think one of the uh, maybe at the baseline of like the, I want to eliminate carbs, people immediately associate carbs with bread. Mm. And like having that discussion of like eliminating really processed grains and bread is entirely different than like eliminating carbs. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about carbohydrates and as stored glucose, like your brain runs on glucose, it needs glucose to function. Um, so I don't know. I just think like it's a good conversation to have because a lot of people's understanding of nutrition is extremely basic. And being able to understand that carbs are more than bread, um, protein is more than meat, and there's yeah. a lot of nuance between like what your body tolerates, what it has sensitivity to, what it like what your gut microbiome is able to to digest, and all that is super important because ultimately the more informed you are about your own personal like baseline then the better you can, you know, make decisions that actually help the food that you're intaking, like work for you as opposed to against you. Yeah, I think you summed all of that up quite well. Uh, and and you. it's Look also, that. yeah, you summed up nutrition. There we go. You could, you could teach nutrition. I will not because I don't know enough. <laughs> I don't, don't want to lead people in the wrong direction. Carbs are good. We need carbs. Yeah. yeah. Nutrition is complicated. Carbs are good. That's the, the gist of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your bread and eat it too. Look at that. Mm. Yeah. Nothing better in the world than having bread. Maybe bread and wine. I'm a, I'm a wino. What can I say? <laughs> oh, and then we could spend another like hour just talking alcohol. about alcohol. Yeah. 
let's save that for another day though yeah (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to like shoot myself in the foot and give myself a reason to like not have my favorite glass of wine every Mm. week yeah maybe that's problematic um (laughs) um okay to get back on track Jackie this has been a great conversation lots of info here to to unpack that's so helpful for all athletes but of course female athletes in particular um where are you most active so people can reach out to you if they want to get in touch to learn more or maybe you know have a discussion about their particular requirements for their sport or you know what whatever the conversation is yeah, probably Instagram. Um, I'm there most every day showing up. Uh, my Instagram is just my last name, Hackett, with two T's, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, Hackett Health. Um, my website is hackett.health. Um, so either either of those two, I'm pretty active there. Okay, well, we will link both of those in the show notes for people to go and and reach out if they want to. But I've loved this conversation. We'll probably definitely get you back on just to talk about the alcohol since Lauren brought it up. Good God. <laughs> Sorry, but it's a hot topic these days. Yeah, a lot of people are quitting alcohol. It's like the cool yeah. thing to do now. Uh, well, I've oh, never well, been I've never been a cool person, so it's all right. <laughs> Um, one more thing I was going to note, um, in the U S I think in Canada, it it's, I don't know if it happened already, but, um, in the U S February 27th to March 5th is national eating disorder awareness week, uh, Mm -hmm. where we really celebrate to promote awareness, um, of eating disorders for people in recovery and their families as well. Um, so lots of great resources that usually come about, um, in that week. Um, I'll definitely be, you know, speaking to that um, when that time comes. But yeah, end of the last week of February every year, um, we note that as well. And that is why we timed this episode so perfectly. So we could mm-hmm. address before before the week shows up. So again, Jackie, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on and, and having this conversation with you. And can't wait to, to get you back on again in the future.